today we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. Uh, I know the pastor has been going through it for the past few weeks, and I think we're going to be ending it, unless he doesn't think I did a good job, and then we'll go through it again next week. Okay? <clears throat> so what we're going to be um, in is uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, starting with chapter... I mean, starting with verse number eight. And it says, um, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but when, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these charity. In these verses, we've been going through this chapter, and of course, uh, chapter 13 of Corinthians is known as the chapter of love. And uh, Paul is talking to the Corinthians church because one of their problems was they didn't have the love for the brethren like they should have had. Uh, in all actuality, as far as spiritual gifts went, they were very well blessed in all the spiritual gifts. They had almost all of them. And that was actually one of their problems is uh, that all of them were looking for the flashy gifts. They wanted the, you know, we want prophecy. We want to be able to speak in tongues. And they were comparing each other against each other. And, you know, we do that many times, I think, in our lives, is we, we compare each other. We, we want to be known. We want the light upon ourselves, and we want people to know we're around and we're it, especially when we're younger. And so that, that's what they were, that, that's what the problems were. They were looking for all these gifts and they wanted the eyes of everybody upon themselves. And that's not the way God wants us to be known. God wants, God is more interested in them coming to a place of loving one another than being highly esteemed. And so that's where Paul is getting to this. Godly love is what is really spiritual. Not speaking in tongues, not prophesying. They're all good, but if you don't have love, you really don't have anything. And so love is the first characteristic mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. So if we would just turn to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22... This is talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And in verse 22, it starts out, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So the first thing they mention about the fruits of the Spirit is love. 
And that's, that's what God wants us to have is love. Not only did he love us, but he also has a, uh, causes us to, to love. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13, it's calling for uh, Christ-likeness and maturity in the midst of a childish and fleshly world. And we, we got to admit, we, we are in that. Paul writes these great words to remind the Corinthians that all the great spiritual things that they can do, the greatest spiritual, spiritual exercise is love. The effects of these words are to remind us that we might possess all kinds of spiritual gifts. We might possess all kinds of abilities, uh, but we, uh, we never are more like Jesus Christ than when we love in the right way. Uh, and we've talked about this, but we'll bring it up uh, because it always says in Corinthians, talking about charity, well, charity means love. And the Greek word for this charity here is agape, the agape love. And so through this, uh, we, we've talked about it, and uh, we'll just kind of give a, a quick uh, uh, remnants over the whole verses that we did. The first thing we talked about, or the pastor talked about, in chapter 13 was a preeminence of love in verses one through three. And so uh, verses one through three, it says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I have become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding and understand, sorry, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have, uh, yeah, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And so the whole idea of these verses here is that love is distinct from and superior to anything that we can do. Uh, it doesn't matter what we do. If we don't have love, it means nothing. It accomplishes nothing. We can do all we want to do with all our abilities that we have. But if we don't have love one for another, it's a waste of our time. Uh, as far as God is concerned. What matters most is if you have God's love. When we learn to let the love of Jesus work through us towards other, we have discover, discovered what matters most. And so those are what we discussed in the, in, uh, a couple weeks ago. Last week, uh, the pastor discussed verses seven through, I mean, four through seven, which is the portrait of love. And there it goes, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly. 
seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. In these verses, Paul gives us an in-depth description of love. He re reveals that all the characteristics to us, these are the truths that we need to be reminded of continually, um, that it never fails. And today we're going to examine, as we just read, 8 through 13. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start discussing these here. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just bow before you this day, just thanking you for the day that we have to come into your house. And Lord, just to hear your word preached, just help me as I uh, give this message that I can give it through with clarity. And Lord, you know, I get nervous every time I have to give your word out. And in all actuality, sometimes that's a good thing because your word is important and it needs to be done correctly. And so I just pray that you would uh, just calm me down and just uh, open the word up to the hearts of these people that, Lord, we can see that truly we must love one another. And without love, there is nothing. Lord, just as we heard this morning that uh, you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten son and that through him, that uh, we can all have eternal life. Just guide and direct as only you can, Father, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to discuss about the, pre, uh, the permanence of love. And verses 8 through 13, we'll read these again, but it says, Charity fail, never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but when face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest is charity. Sorry about that, but my phone started ringing in my ears. They're trying to call me to work again. I'm not going. So, um, the permanence of love in these chapters. Love is the constant of life and eternity. It's never going away. Love never faileth. Um, and that faileth has a sense of not withering away. Um, whether there be prophecies, it says, it will fail. When we look at that... Um, Fail, it, Greek word katargio, if I pronounced that right, which I'm sure I didn't. It has a sense of being abolished or ceasing. What the apostle is speaking of is the temporary gift of uh, prophecy. 
love endures, but various temporary gifts of the Holy Spirit, in this case, prophecy, uh, it's going to fail. It would be abolished. It's going to cease. And of course, the prophecy we're talking about, because so, sometimes we talk about the prophecy of preaching, but the prophecy of God giving the word to a man to speak like Elisha and Elijah, the, that prophecy was going to cease. Um, it, it was going away. And, you know, many people were looking for that gift of prophecy. They th that was one of the premier gifts they wanted. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And um, when we look at tongues, we can look at the Greek word. The Greek word is glossa, which means common. Uh, in, in the Greek word, it means common languages. It's, it's not like the tongues of today where it's gibberish. It was common languages. Paul here is not suggesting that all language was going away. Obviously, I'm speaking in English, or at least I think I'm speaking in English. I might be speaking gibberish, who knows? But I think I'm speaking English. And, and so that, Paul's not talking about all languages going away, but he's talking about... Uh, the temporary gifts of tongues where it was super, the super, supernatural ability to speak a foreign language, like me speaking um, Spanish right now. Can't speak Spanish, but back then they could to, to, uh, to a nation that was Spanish. They may not have known what they were saying, but God was able to do it. We've seen it in Acts where they said, how can we hear all these men in our language. Well, that's because it was supernatural. It wasn't that they were speaking some weird language that everybody could hear. They were speaking in their own language. And so that ability is going to go away. It, it is going to cease. Uh, where, where it says, where there be prophecies, it will fail. Tongues, they shall cease. It was going to go away. Um, and, and again, Paul went through a lot talking about tongues because they seemed like everybody wanted to speak in tongues. And even today, you got to speak in tongues, right? But that's not what Paul says it's going to cease. Paul, in effect, wrote that the day was coming when the gifts of tongues will be left and fade away. He also talked where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And again, we're not talking about the regular knowledge we have right now. Okay? All of us has some knowledge. That's common sense. But uh, supernatural knowledge that they had back then, it was going to vanish away. Uh, he, he was speaking about the temporary gift of knowledge described in 12, 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 8, um, where it says, for, for to one is given the spirit of the word of wisdom, and another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. So that knowledge was going to vanish away. The day was coming soon when all the gifts along with others would simply just vanish away. It wasn't going to be there. Um, 
And that vanish away is the same word as uh, the word we had where fail. It, uh, it has a sense of being abolished or ceasing. The point Paul is making is that the days were not far off when the various signs, gifts of the Holy Spirit would cease. And the reason for this we'll talk about in verse 10 when it comes along here. So rather than fighting and feuding over the best gifts, which they were fighting over, you know, look what I have, look what I have, I'm so great, uh, many of those gifts were going away. They were just temporary. They weren't there forever. Remember, he said, love never faileth, but these gifts were going to go away. So they were fighting really over something that was temporary. And I guess we can ask ourselves even today, how many times do we fight over things that are just temporary, that are going to go away? I, I know there's many arguments I have. Why am I fighting this argument when it really doesn't mean anything? OK, that's what they were doing. And that's what Paul was trying to get them to understand. Love is the one thing that you cannot do without. Love is, if you will, the tendons that hold all the body parts together. Of course, what do tendons do in our body? They hold the muscle to the bone. And that's what allows us to move like we move. If the tendons are not attached to the bones or, or not attached to the muscle, they become useless. Okay? They don't work the way they should. They're not going to work and function. Without it, each of the body parts become isolated and useless. And this is the same with love. If we don't have love one for another in a church, the church really becomes useless. We can have all the gifts we want. We can preach all we want to preach. We can say all the things we want to do. We can have all these little uh, plans, all these... Uh, um, ideas, but if we don't have love, they're worthless. So when we look at the application of this, it's difficult for us to read the first words, love never fails. And, and some people, I'm sure, are confused. What do you mean love never fails? Many of us has witnessed the apparent failures of love. Marriages have ended in divorce. I don't love you anymore, right? Uh, friendships have been ruptured. Children have disowned parents, and I'm sure parents have disowned children. Um, siblings have become like strangers. Churches have split. So when we say love never faileth, some people say, what do you mean? Love didn't work there. But... Um, when Paul says that love never fails, he's saying that love will always have success if, if we work at it. One commentator put it this way. Love, first of all, love is not a magic word that Christians use to unlock every opportunity and guarantee every endeavor. Love is not a spiritual formula that faithfully applied automatically fills all our desires and produces human success. Love doesn't always win, at least not in the usual sense. 
When we think of Jesus Christ, Jesus was love incarnate, yet he did not, by his perfect love, succeed in winning every person he came into contact with. Um, he, he was ridiculed, he was maligned, he was denied, he was rejected, and he was crucified, even though he had love unconditional. Uh, Paul could be called the apostle of the love, yet he did not leave a trail of perfect successes. Wherever he ministered, he was persecuted, arrested, beaten, imprisoned, and like his Lord, put to death because of what he said and did in love. Because love does not overpower human wills, we cannot always accomplish our purposes, no matter how loving spiritual, and selfless we may be. But no godly work can be accomplished without love. Success will not always be a part of love, but love will always be a part of true spiritual success. So love is always there. We may not do so hot ourselves, but love is always there. It's never going to fail. There's always love in the world. The Word of God enables us to see clearly in verses 9 through 12. When we look at 9, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. So referring back to the spiritual gifts of knowledge and prophecy, he wrote, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. The thought is how they only had partial knowledge of the things of God. They didn't have complete knowledge of God back then. Uh, it was only in part. Moreover, even with the gifts of prophecy, they only had incomplete knowledge of the truth. The temporary gifts, though helpful, were not comprehensive. No one individual church saw all the whole picture. They only knew in part. In verse 10, Paul reveals why these uh, very spiritual gifts were partial and temporary. It says, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. And so there's certainly a misunderstanding in this passage. Uh, however, if you closely look at this passage, it will make clear its intent. The key word that is translated here, perfect, that word perfect means complete or finished. Some have mistakenly taken this passage and says, well, when Christ comes back, we will know everything. Well, that's not what the passage is talking about, is Christ's return. Uh, what it is talking about is the completing of the New Testament. When the New Testament was completed, all these gifts were going to fade away. Uh, that which in part is talking about the temporary gifts. And they, they were, even at this time, they were beginning to fade away. Really, when you look at, the, at uh, the Word of God and you start reading a lot of the Acts of the Apostles, you'll see a lot of the gifts at the beginning of Acts 
towards the end, they start kind of fading away, don't they? They're not always there. And so um, it is talking about uh, the word of God being complete. Uh, James 1.25 talks about the perfect law of liberty, which was um, the completion of the Bible in, and the doing away with the temporary gifts of the early church. And again, that done away is talking about being abolished. The simple truth is that the New Testament was com when the New Testament was completed, all the temporary gifts of the Spirit to the early churches faded away. Something far better had arrived, and of course that was the Word of God. In verse 11, uh, Paul illustrates this matter when he said, When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so his point is simple. Immaturity of childhood um, is displaced by the maturity of adulthood. Some of us are a little slower at that than others. Yeah. Uh, but as, as a church matured uh, with the completion of the New Testament, the adolescence or the temporary gifts of the Spirit likewise were put away or abolished. And so as a church was maturing, as the Word of God became complete, they didn't need all those. It's really the Word of God is what we need. And what it comes down to is that this is all we need to know what we need to do is the Word of God. Uh, we don't need all these spiritual gifts. I know people would like to see them. Man, it would be nice to talk to God face to face or have him talk to me in words. But we really, he is talking to us through the word of God. So we have that there. Verse 12 tells us, uh, for we see, for now we see through a glass darkly veiled or, or darkly, but when but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. And so when we get to this part, um, we see that for now we see through a glass darkly veiled. That glass literally, uh, it, it's kind of talking about a mirror, seeing face to face. Well, back in Paul's day, uh, we did not, they did not have the technology like we have with glass. So what did they use? They used metal, you know, buff, silver, whatever, and you look through it. Does it look like glass? It, it's darkly. Yes, you can see an image, but you can't see it clearly. And that's what Paul is referring to here is that... Um, they, they were looking at themselves through polished metal. So the image is not clear, but it's somewhat fuzzy. So it's dark, darkly, um, not clear. The application, his point is simple. Though um, in spite of God's gracious gifts to the early churches, their understanding and grasp of the New Testament was kind of like that uh, polished piece of metal. They could see it, it was darkly, but they didn't have all the knowledge they needed to have at the time. Um, they were immature 
in the word of God at that time. However, it wasn't going to be too far in the distant future where their understanding would be like where he says, uh, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. It wasn't going to come when the word of God was completed. He's going, we're going to be able to look like we're face to face. We're going to know God's word. We can look at it. We can study it. We, it's not going to be uh, partial. God's word is enough for us that we know what God wants from us. And that's what it comes down to. The New Testament, once it was completed, their knowledge of all things spiritual would be as sharp as seeing somebody face to face. Um, I think it pretty much leaves us without any excuse when it comes to our understanding of how we ought to operate in the Lord's church one towards another, because now it comes down to we don't have these spiritual gifts. What did God leave us with? When we look at verse 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity, or the greatest of these is love. Through faith, hope, and charity, or love, would remain after the uh, doing away with all the various spiritual gifts. Paul's contention was that the greatest of these three gifts that were left was love. It was that which really the Corinthians church didn't have, or they didn't have much of, let's put it that way. They didn't, they lacked sorely in love. Um, with the Bible, faith became sight. And with the Bible, we can see our faith becomes sight and our hope becomes possession. So as we look through and we start our conclusion here, uh, what makes love so great? Well, love is the defining characteristic of who God is. If we could turn to 1 Corinthians... First Corinthians, yeah. First John, that'll be more helpful. First John in chapter four. First John chapter four in verse eight. It tells us, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So as we look at this, when the Bible des describes God in one sentence, what does he describe God as? God is love. And if we don't have love one for another, what does it tell us here? We don't know God. We need to have that love. God is love. I think some people probably use this more as an excuse than anything else. You know, well, God's love, he's going to overlook my sin. That's not true, but God is love. God loves us, and God wants us to love one another. We are never more Christ-like than when the Spirit of God produces God's love in us. The people in the Corinth church were fighting over who was the most significant. And 
you know, all we have to do is look in our own homes and we can, we can see people have those battles, don't they? Who's greater than the other person? Even the apostles had that issue. You know, who's going to be the greatest? But really, uh, what did Jesus say? We're supposed to be like servants and we're supposed to love one another. So that was their fighting. Their focus was in the wrong place. It was all about the ranking of the gifts. What's greater? It's all about uh, it is uh, really it's all about loving one another with godly love for edification in the building of the body. That is what. Paul was trying to get them to understand. And I think really, even today, that's what God is trying to get people to understand is it's love one for another. That's the greatest. Paul in um, uh, chapter 12 of Corinthians and uh, verse 31 said, but covets earnestly the best gifts and yet show what? Uh, show I unto you a more excellent way. And then he goes right into chapter 13 talking about love. That is the most earnest way. That's what he was trying to get people to understand. We need to put aside petty divisions. And it's easy to have them, but we need to put them aside. People of God are to be different from the rest of the world. Our goals, our values should be different. Instead of ranking each other, we should encourage each other. There's a far more, there's more at stake than just petty differences in this life. Again, this life is temporary, isn't it? We need to look at it that way. We should see what we need to be. Okay, hold on. We should see that we need to be more diligent about love. If you can listen to Paul's words at this time, and, and uh, there's no uh, sense uh, of urgency, or you, you could really, ah, I'm good. Uh, you're not really paying attention because there's all sorts of things in our lives that we need to maybe put aside. Some of these things are sinful attitudes for which we need to repent. What kind of attitudes do we have that we need to repent of? Um, how about tempers? Okay, I'll point at me that need to be brought under control. Um, gossip that needs to cease. Uh, pettiness that needs to be overcome. And is there any grace that needs to be extended to someone? I think sometimes we can become angry at people. We don't give the grace we ought to give to them. Sometimes we think about ourselves, don't we? And we don't think about what about that other person? Why did that other person do what they did? And, and sometimes we need to think about uh, how maybe how we came across. We must seek God in prayer and ask him to teach us how to, to love as he does. We need to stop focusing on ourselves. It's all about me. And focus on honoring him and serving others. We need to be doers of the word. Instead of focusing merely 
on learning information about love, we should be striving to practice and demonstrate love. And are we doing that? Can we say uh, that last week we responded in love to everybody we came into contact with, no matter what happened? I cannot say that. Okay? And, and I don't think anybody can, because we, we do. We are sinful men. We, 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 have, and we have pride, don't we? And, and sometimes we respond wrongly. Um, in closing, instead of claiming to be spiritually filled, we, we should show that we're spiritually filled. Uh, Christ-likeness of our character in response to life and people. Maybe one of the reasons Paul said that love is the greatest is because the thing that, is the, that has the greatest impact on others in life is the love we show to each other. All right. I am done. You can preach. Are you done?